we're going through the book of Romans. And before we go through the book of Romans, I I want you to open your Bibles, and I'd like you to mark your Bibles up with how these different verses, and the way I see the book of Romans, and this is just not me, other people see it this way, it's bookended with two major verses. And if you understand the bookend of Romans, it starts with something and it ends with something. And the book ends is Romans 1.5. And if you read Romans 1.5, it says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. You see in this verse the obedience of faith. Very important because oftentimes those are opposed to one another. But here he puts them together, obedience to faith. And faith, and you go to almost the very last verse in Romans 16, and you can turn there. It's not going to be hard to find if you're already in Romans. Let's look at this other bookend. Verse 26. But has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. Here we see it is. All nations. We saw all nations. In verse 5. According to the commandment of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. These are the bookend of Romans. The obedience of faith going out to the nations. He wants the nations to understand what true faith is and what true obedience is. And in the mind of Paul, he's, he's just not teaching about justification. He also, in his mind, wants to speak about sanctification, the Christian life. And he doesn't want you to confuse the two. He doesn't confuse them. He makes it very clear in the book of Romans what justification is and what sanctification is. Though he doesn't use the words, he makes it clear. He wants to bring about the obedience of faith. This is the book ends. With that said, why did Paul write the letter of Romans in the first place? Because God told him to. Okay, we got that out of them. Yes, God told him to under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But why did he write it? What was his purpose? What, what did he have in mind? Absolutely, he wants to share what the gospel is. Any other reasons? And, and this, is to be, this is not a trick question. There's often multiple reasons. If you write a letter to someone, you just don't have one thing in mind. You may have multiple things in mind. When you call someone on the phone, if you want to speak to a relative or a loved one, you may call them for one reason, but you may have a list of reasons you, you want to talk with them. Look at Romans 15, 22 through 24. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in the regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Then he'll go on to speak about this collection for the saints there in Jerusalem. He wants to get to Spain. He says, I'm coming to see you, and I'm hoping you can help me. Maybe, maybe you can help me, like, take an offering up and help me make it and get the gospel to Spain. And this is a lot of the reasons why he wrote this letter. There's a, there's a litany of reasons, but he wants to get to Spain. He's got this church there 
in Rome, and, he's, and he wants them to be following Christ. There's Jew and there's Gentiles together, and there's some issues, and he's trying to help them with these issues. He wants to share with them the gospel, and he wants them to understand the obedience to faith. And when you look at verses 16 and 17 that we learned two weeks ago, I would call this the heartbeat of the book of Romans, meaning when, when you read anything in Romans, you're going to hear this for the next 20 weeks. This is going to be the heartbeat, the blood that is flowing through the veins of the Apostle Paul as he writes the letter to the Romans. And as you read, whatever you read in Romans, this is the heartbeat. It's what's flowing through the, through the veins of the Apostle Paul that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, no matter who it is. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. What I see in those two verses, and, and David did an excellent job when he taught this, and he just said his, he does his yes. <laughs> That's what he says, yes, because the big argument is, is what is this teaching here? And, and what I believe, be based upon the bookends, the obedience of faith, is he's trying to teach us that you are saved by, by faith and faith alone. And what happens when you're saved is the Holy Spirit comes, renews your heart, renews your mind. You become a different person. And like Habakkuk teaches, if you are justified by faith, there is a way in which you will live. You will be faithful to what God has called you to do. Not for salvation, but because of sanctification. And we see Paul putting it both in his heartbeat. Listen here, you're justified by faith. If, if you don't believe you're justified by faith, you just have to throw out like half of the book of Romans. He actually just comes out and says it. You're justified by faith. He uses, Rome, he uses Abraham as a major example. He just says it. I mean, he actually just says it. There's no even translation issue. He says, yeah, you're justified by faith and faith alone. But now that you're justified, you must live a certain way. So with that said... I'd like someone to read Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. And I put it in the NIV on purpose because most of you probably have an ESV or maybe a, a different translation. I'm not here to tell you one's better than the other, uh, though I prefer one some over the other. The, the NIV is an excellent translation, as long as it's pre-1984, right? Is that, David, is that the date, <laughs> the, the 84 one? And I want you to read it here because I've, I've got a purpose of doing that. So would someone just read what I have, and I think it's good to read in other translations. Helps you think differently. Anybody can read it.
All right. And in this entire section, this is really the condemnation of the Jew. What is the difference between the NIV and the ESV in the very opening verse of chapter 2? You don't have to look, but two verses. Just two words, sorry, two words. What's the difference? What do you see? I'm going I'm to help you understand how to read the different English translations. This is very helpful. Oh, man. Therefore, you. One says you, therefore, one says therefore you. And you may be saying, well, what's the difference? The, the, in the Greek, the word order sometimes is changed around. Well, the big argument here is what is the therefore, therefore? A. Chapter 2 begins with therefore, a term that normally introduces the result of that which immediately proceeds. In this case, however, the connection in chapter 1 is not clear. This is from Bill Mounts who is the daddy of Little Mounts, who teaches Greek. <laughs> we don't understand, because remember, there's no verses and chapters in the original letter. And a lot of question is, what is the therefore, therefore? And many argue, and, and you'll look at B, when you read a critical commentary, a critical commentary, there's different types of commentaries. Oftentimes, someone preaches a sermon series and they turn it into a commentary, and it's very easy to read and understandable. It's like, oh, this is very, very helpful. And sometimes you have these critical commentaries where men go to college for 30 years just to learn how to, to translate the book of Romans. And when you read it, it's like, whoa, this is really dense. My brain hurts. And the people who have these critical commentaries are arguing what is the therefore, therefore. Even one man, Caseman, would actually say it's an early marginal gloss, meaning the therefore really shouldn't be there because he's speaking to the same people. I believe that therefore is, is there for a certain reason. Yes? It is not a variant, but it is a, some people argue that it is. Yeah, you could argue that, but yes. No. Yes, I understand that you do not like Caseman's argument, but I wanted to present it at least. And there's a purpose behind arguing about the therefore. You may be going, well, what's the big deal? I'm of the opinion that the therefores, what is the therefore, therefore? And, and this is going to make sense in just a second. What is the summary of Romans 1, 28 through 32? Because you, why did he put therefore? You have heard this. Therefore, this. Could someone give me a summary of 128 through 32? Anyone? Not everybody at once. It's overwhelming for the teacher, but. Exactly. So a man on a deserted island in the middle of nowhere still knows there's a God. You've heard of the great missionaries who, who went to Africa. Paris Reedhead went to Africa to share the gospel. And he said he was so mad because when he got to Africa, they didn't want to hear about his God. He said, I thought they just wanted to hear and they didn't know. They said that they knew God. They just didn't care about him. They didn't care about what you have to teach. They, didn't, they, they knew right and wrong. They just loved their sin. <laughs> Don't tell us we can't do what we want to do. He said he was kind of mad at God, actually. But it's a whole 
different topic there for Paris Reedhead. But no matter who you are, the law is written on your heart. And you can think to the Gentile here, and this is where it changes, audience. Does it even matter who Paul is thinking about in Romans 2? I'm going to tell you it does. So what Paul is doing here is he's writing to Jews and to Gentiles in Rome. And if you don't understand, there was a lot of animosity between the two. The Jews, many Jews have loved God and here comes Jesus, and they love Jesus. And in their mind, they're trying to work through the details of, okay, these Gentiles, instead of coming to the temple, now we're going out to the world. There was some animosity. You noticed that some Jews got real proud of who they were. And Paul says even the, the Gentile pagan stands condemned. And then he looks at the Jew and says, therefore, hey, you're not off the hook, Mr. Jewish person who thinks you're righteous. That's the reason the therefore is super important. And it's very important who Paul is thinking about in Romans 2. Now, at the end of the day, some may say, well, it doesn't matter because there's even self-righteous Gentiles. That's absolutely true. The same reason it doesn't matter who he's really talking about in Romans 1, you could say, because the whole world stands condemned under the law. But in Paul's mind, what he is doing is, therefore, because the entire world stands condemned under the law, he understands the mind of the Jewish person because he himself is a Jew. He understands the promises. He understands the privilege that he grew up in. And you see Leanheart, Roman numeral 2, the Pharisee is always present in each one of us. So he's looking at the Jewish man who's like, yes, they stand condemned. And he says, oh, you're not off the hook. You're not off the hook. A, there's always a natural tendency to justify ourselves for the wrong we do by condemning people who do other evils that we think are worse. So for the Jewish person, he's just breaking the law a little the pagan Gentiles really breaking the law and they puff themselves up like they were great. B, too many neglect the teaching of total depravity, which chapter two is setting up chapter three. Chapter three is the famous chapter, uh, you know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 310, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. It's setting up that great chapter of total depravity. Chapter two is setting this up. And chapter 2 is teaching that you too, though you have the law, the, the Gentiles have it written on your heart, you have it right before you, you can't judge them. You're no better. Jonathan Edwards wrote this about chapter 2 of Romans. O sinner, can you give any reason why since you have risen from your bed this morning, God has not stricken you dead? No, that's what we deserve. We all deserve death. And the Jews thought, you know what? We're a little bit better than the Gentiles. Discussion question. You know what? I don't have time for this. I'll go ahead and answer it. What is the heart condition of Judah in the days of Jeremiah? And how is it similar to the heart condition of those Jews in the time of Paul? 
you're going to see that history repeats itself, even in Scripture. Before the first temple was destroyed, at the heart of the Jewish person was the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As long as that temple's still there, we're blessed and we can live any way we want to live. We're better than everyone else because we have the promises, we have everything given to us, we're special people. And at the heart of the Jews, right around 556 AD, you can give or take a couple years, they thought, well, we still have the temple. We're still special. Though we're following Jesus now, we're still a little more special than those who got it a different way. And it's really important to understand that there were Jewish people who thought that they could earn their way to salvation. Why else would he write Ephesians 2.8? For by grace you're saved through faith, not of works. Why else would he write a book of Galatians telling people, hey, you can't earn your salvation because there were people who thought that. There were people who thought, well, we're born into this. We're okay. And Jesus is like, you know, God can create stones just like he can children of Abraham. He can create children of Abraham out of stones if he wants to. You're not born into this. You can't work your way into the kingdom. You have to be reborn into the kingdom, Jew and Gentile alike. So he's making sure that the Jewish person who's sitting in church, listening to the preacher, understands that you're in the same boat as your Gentile friend who has never heard of all these stories. You're both in the same boat. Chapter 1 just puts the Gentile on blast, and they're like, oh no. And the Jews propped up, yeah, look at us. He's no, 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 no. It's just as, you're, just as, you're just as terrible because you're judging the very person who sins, and you're just as much as a sinner. Yes, I like how you say that. Yes, both. And here's the truth. This, this application goes into Presbyterianism. And let me tell you, David and I see this sometimes. You have a man who, who's, who's third-generation Presbyterian, comes from Westminster Theological Seminary and knows everything. They look at you and they go, huh, you were a Baptist? Huh, Pentecostal? You don't know anything about the Presbyterian faith. And I laugh. I'm going, you know, there's Bible verses about that, right? It, it doesn't matter your pedigree, your stock. What's important is, do you know Christ? Do you know the scripture? Do you know truth? And we think it's just a Jew-Gentile issue. Oh, this is deeper. This is a humanity issue. If you ever get a chance to prop yourself up, as if you know more, as if you're from a special stock, as if you have something everybody else doesn't have. That's human condition. And you see it in the Presbyterian world, you'll see it in the Baptist world, Pentecostal world. You'll see it everywhere. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm no, no, no. This is leveling the playing field. You all need Jesus. You're all one in Christ. This is what Paul is trying to get them to understand. Let's continue to move on. Three, loving the gift and not the giver. Do you suppose, O oh man, 
you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. How did the Jew presume upon the kindness of God? Abraham, he's our father. You're, you don't even know Abraham. You don't have the bloodlines that we have. How else could they do this? They had the law. I mean, you pagan Gentiles, you didn't have a Bible growing up. You had like different idols. I mean, we had the law growing up. I mean, my great second cousin was a great rabbi. Who are you? You're nobody. You see that theme all throughout the Gospels. Jesus is dealing with that attitude. Oh, no, 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 no. It's by grace and grace alone. For the Jew and to the Greek. They presumed upon the kindness of God. And how do we presume upon the kindness of God? What, is way, what are ways that we do this? We live in sin. Explain that. Because God's judgment is delayed, Proverbs teaches, men will continue and are more apt to sin. God hasn't judged me yet. Why don't I just keep sinning? And you know what? That's the very thing that Paul deals with in chapter, chapter 7. Isn't it fascinating that, that Paul has a method in the book of Romans? He, is, he knows what you're going to think before you think it. It's incredible. He knows what the arguments of the Jew is. And he says, listen here, you're, you're no better off. You can't presume upon the riches and kindness of God. His kindness was supposed to lead you to repentance, not allow you to keep sinning, not allow you to keep having that judgmental attitude to someone else. That's what this kindness is supposed to do. We, we, we do this often in, in life. I know, it's, I know kids do that. I don't have kids, but my, my, my nephews are really good at it. I have a dog that's good at it. <laughs> They play you, right? Especially, oh, someone knew. I can play them. I'll get that. They, they do that. We learn that at a young age. Why? Because we get the guilt and corruption of Adam. It's innate within us, and we, we want to play the system. That's what we want to do. We want to get as much as we can. That is correct. No one teaches us those things. And how can riches and kindness be more dangerous than poverty and struggles? I won't read. You can read. I got some extra quotes in here from Calvin and Sproul. You can read that later. But, but it seems that oftentimes these riches and kindness that should lead us to repentance often make us sin more. When it's the poverties and the struggles that bring us back to a reminder of who God is. Let's look at God as a rewarder of those who seek him. This should get really fun and interesting. Verse 6. Remember, he's still speaking to the Jew, the self-righteous person. 
He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So he's speaking about blessings and cursings here. Everyone's a seeker. It says you either seek yourself or you seek the things of God. And he says that each one will receive according to his works. This is something that we read in Psalm 62. You reward everyone according to what they have done. Matthew 16. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Discussion question. What would you say to someone who said, Well, here it is, just another classic example of Scripture teaching that our personal works, that personal works which we do, play a role in our salvation. Is faith and works working together in harmony to bring about salvation. It says it right there. What do you say to someone? What are you going to say to someone? Now, yes, Mr. Felipe. Yes. Amen. Anyone else? This is the reason we need to understand the bookends of Romans. What does he say? The obedience of faith for all the nations. And then you look at the heartbeat. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation. Everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is fulfilled or revealed. Why? The just shall live by their faithfulness. Their faith. They are living it out. You will stand before the Lord and you will give an account for everything you do. Now you're justified by faith and faith alone. For you to think your works play a role in your justification would be to demean the work of Jesus and all of his works. His works get us to heaven. And if you think you can add to the works of Christ, you are blaspheming Jesus. Your works will never amount enough for you to get to heaven. Jesus did the work, but justification is legal. Boom. Yes, Mr. Corey. Amen. Yes. Uh, James will teach that because you're Dead faith does dead things. Alive faith does alive things. And what we see in this passage, you'll be judged at the end according to the way you live. But justification is legal. It doesn't transform you. Right? You may drive a car. I tell this to teenagers. Who owns the car? That's my car. Well, I looked at the deed. It's your mom's. <laughs> you don't own that car. Oh, you may drive it, but it ain't yours. Who, whose car is this? The person who owns the car, the title, right? Justification is a legal title.
title issue. Who owns you? God owns you. You are legally declared not guilty. And now you must live it out. And you'll be judged accordingly how you live. Are you going to live as someone who is faithful to God? Or are you going to live as someone who's not? The last thing you want is to have all of your filthy rags works poured out upon you on the day of wrath. <laughs> you don't want that. You want Jesus Christ, the champion, the chief of your salvation, representing you. And everything you did for him will be given back to you tenfold, right? This is what scripture teaches. Rewards. Um, R.C. Sproul is really going to, in his commentary, really presses this Protestant view of rewards for what we do. The, the non-Christian doesn't get rewards because they don't do anything in faith. They don't have faith. So all of that will be turned into wrath for them. Calvin doesn't take the same view as, as R.C. Sproul. I'm sure they're up there debating now. It's going to be a good one. I won't wish I was there sometimes to hear it. But he sees it as when you stand before for the Lord, if you are living in faith, you will have rewards to, to give back to the Lord. You will be rewarded according to your, 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 your faith. Now, this is not justification. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith and faith alone. But, as we see Paul write in other scriptures, he saved you, he predestined you to do works that Jesus Christ has already purchased. Paul did not want to see Christians sitting there absolutely doing nothing for the Lord. He wanted to see them living a fruitful life. But as you know, it's so easy to pervert that teaching by adding some type of self-righteousness to your justification. It, yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or, or Gentile. It's all for the glory of the Lord. And which brings us to verse 9. Choose you this day. You have to, you have to choose, once again, how you're going to live. And this is for the Jew and the Greek. Have you noticed that you're going to see that throughout all the book of Romans? You see it in the bookends. You see it in Romans 1, 16 and 17. You see it here. He's trying to tell everyone, Jew and Greek, one, you're all saved the same way. You're all just as lost. You all deserve the wrath of God. But you've been saved by grace through faith. Now what? Live like it. Live like you're one. Why are there... He'll write another, why are there quarrels around you? Why are you, why are you fighting? He calls some people out by name. It's kind of funny. I hope I never make a Bible verse, you know, a book of the Bible just because I've been fighting with other people in the church. <laughs> no, I won't. You're right. That's so true. He wants them to get along. He wants them to proclaim the gospel. He wants, and until you see that you are totally depraved and you may have the heart of this Pharisee like the Jew, you may look at someone who comes in here and you go, you know what? I think I'm a little better than them. No, you're not. None of us are better than anyone. 
And Paul wants to make it crystal clear that you are all saved the same way. You all need the same Jesus, and you all need to be living the way God has called you to live. Verse 9 and 10. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. To the Jew first and also the Greek. Where have you seen this before in the book of Romans? Everywhere. Notice that the Jew first and also the Greek. That is the way in which blessings are given. Blessings come first to the Jew. He came into his own. Though his own did not receive him, he did come into his own first. Salvation came to the Jews first. They were saved and they shall be. There was always a spot for the Gentiles all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the Gospel and the Old Covenant. You always see that the Gentiles, there was always a way made for the Gentile. Or before there were Jews, before Abraham, there was a a group of Christians, though I understand Bovink's argument, they all won godly line for Adam, and I completely understand that. Very good thought. <laughs> God has always had his people, but salvation came to the Jews first. But you notice that the cursings and the judgment came to the Jew first also. So the blessings come to them first, and so does the judgment to the Jew first and also the Greek. That should remind us in church when we, when we take, where we were baptized, when we take the covenant sign, or we've grown up in church, or we've grown up reading the Bible, this is a warning for us because judgment will come to us first. Judgment will start in the house of God. That should scare us just a little bit. I mean, we're not scared because we don't fear God in that sense, but it's sobering to think about that judgment will start in the house of God. Because oftentimes we look in the world and we're like, oh, the world's so evil and wicked. Well, judgment will start here. He'll clean his house up first before he cleans the world up. And that should be a sobering thought uh, for how you live, for how you teach your kids, for how you pray for one another, for how when you teach Sunday school, some of your Sunday school teachers for little kids, because there's a rotation, for when you speak to kids in here, understand judgment will start here. That's sobering when I read that. I'll read what Luther says about this verse. You can get Luther's commentary on Romans to his students online for free. Just so you know, Luther and Calvin are different people. <laughs> it's great to read Luther when you read Romans. Just understand he is a, I would call him a, he's kind of a wild man. <laughs> I don't know how else to, to explain it. Not everything he says is probably preachable. But everything he says is thoughtful. And we love Martin Luther. Calvin just was a different animal. He, had a, he, he, had to, he got to stand on the shoulders of many people. He wasn't running for his life like Martin Luther was. But, but I love Martin Luther in Romans. And he says this. This is, says, first, in criticism of the pride of the Jews who extolled themselves because it was they who received the law and who boasted of being its bearers and disciples. But they wanted God to act in such a way that he would attribute good only to the Jews and evil to the Gentiles. Just as if descendants of Abraham were e ellipso equal to Abraham in their merits. They, they, wanted, they wanted the blessings 
and they wanted the Gentiles to get the cursings. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, you get blessings if you're in Christ, and you get cursings when you're out of Christ, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that will extend to God's covenantal people, to you and the church. God will judge us first. This is the reason we have a lot more information, and we're going to be judged accordingly. What does it mean, last thing, that God is no respecter of persons? What does it mean? Go, Felipe. Yeah. Blessings and judgment. It doesn't matter who you are. God's not going to give you special privileges because you're born into some family. He's not going to give you special privileges because you memorized the shorter catechism when you were four years old at a large Presbyterian church in Scotland. Right? He's not going to care. Where's your heart? Do you love him? Do you want to serve him? Do you love him with your mind? Are you learning the catechisms because they learn you can, you can learn more about God and love him more? Are you learning them just to check a box so you can get some information and win an online social media argument? Which you can if you know the catechism. You'll probably win them all. <laughs> yes. Exactly. He said, that's a mic drop right there. You don't ask me what side I'm on. I am the side. So just understand Romans 2 is setting up chapter 3, telling he's speaking to the Jewish person. And, and when you're reading through Romans, there's going to be so much debate on who Paul is thinking about when he writes. And David will tell you this. That's what the majority of the fights are about in Romans. Is he thinking about the Jew or the Gentile? And sometimes you just have to sit back and understand, well, it kind of applies to both. It does apply to both. And what people want to do is take the, well, if he's speaking to Gentiles, that means the Jew is already Christians. No, no, no. That's the reason you have to keep going back to Scripture interprets Scripture, even the book of Romans. And Paul is crystal clear in many other books where he's not as clear in Romans. Let's pray.